Sonic Statesman.com. So hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 135. Uh, we're on the eve of Glastonbury Festival, amongst other things. Um, live in the chat room, uh, if you haven't joined us before and you're not here now, uh, I'll tell you where it is because it's sonicstate.com forward slash live. There's a live chat room together with a live shout, shoutcast stream so you can listen to the show and comment. And I'm still figuring out a way to um, publish the, the comments because I'm saving it all to a log file, but I, it, it's, uh, it's, it's so far it's beyond me, to be honest. So at the moment, it's, it's just, just my own personal blog. Well, it's kind of like that. It's some weird kind of XML format that, uh, anyway... I won't go there. That voice you heard there, though, of course, was uh, Mark Tinley. Mark Tinley now is uh, ensconced in his new studio, which um, sounds like it might need a bit of acoustic treatment, but you sound an awful lot better quality than you did last week. Um, the iPhone just didn't quite cut it for some reason, and I've heard it better. Just a bad yeah. line, perhaps. How are you, Mark? I'm, I'm underground. It's nice and cool down here, actually. Oh, I spent good. six hours in the garden this morning with a rotavator. Oh, you need a break. Yeah. <laughs> my bloody hands are like all blistered it's, yeah it's it really hard work rotavators you've got to pre-dig with a rotavator otherwise you get into trouble what do you mean by that well you get all the you get did you get all the turf off nah. you, uh, well there you go <laughs> that's probably why it was so painful <laughs> uh mark can be found at aspergineering.com where you can see all of mark's comings and goings and what he's been up to and and blog postings you're back on the blog now where you've got a bit of time I oh I did post something to the blog last night and then I was going to do something this morning but East woke up too early. Oh yeah, I've been following you on Twitter. You said you had it all set up and you had to replan the day out. I've been following you on Twitter actually, and I was very shocked to hear that that man from the Orb died. But yeah, it's very sad. That's uh, Andy Hughes. I've been playing lots of Orb tunes um, prior to the show just to kind of you know in homage. So, Mark Tinley, AspergeEngineering.com, and uh, we've also got Dave Spears from G4Software.com. How are you, Dave? Hello. I'm all right, yes. Good. Well, I, sadly, we didn't have you last week, but it sounded like you were doing uh, much more uh, high high and mighty things anyway. But you've had a busy week, right? Uh, yep. I've got a deadline of something for the 1st of July. Ah, that's quite soon, isn't it? Uh, yes. Mm. So, yes, busy. Very, very, very busy. So uh, we've got a big lot of people in the chat room. Uh, well, first of all, actually, what I'll say is uh, I've got a new mic this week, and uh, I think it sounds quite good, actually. Um, I thought that it would be quite an interesting sort of show feature to try a new mic every week, and I've got a big box of mics from Source Distribution. And this first one you're listening to is the Rode Broadcaster, uh, which has got a one-inch capsule. It's got a little red LED on the side of it, so you can tell when you're on air. If you wire it upright and have a little switch, you can actually show the talent, who I suppose in this instance is me, that I'm actually live and on air. I haven't got a little switch, but it goes red anyway without a little switch, so I know I'm on air, so I mustn't swear. <laughs> so uh, I'll try not to anymore. I did earlier, but I won't. Um, but And it's got a, a built-in uh, low-cut low cut switch as well, so you don't need a preamp that does it. And I think it sounds quite nice. It's... Um, Definitely a bit nicer, well, quite a lot nicer than my Behringer C1. I don't know how much it is or anything, um, but you can find out stuff about it from road mics and what have you. I mean, it's not actually a sponsorship thing. This It's just I got a bit sick of the sound of my own voice, and I thought if I got some new mics to try out, I would uh, rekindle rekindle my um, my appetite for it. So, do I sound, <laughs> be- do I be- sound better down the line? Does it sound yeah, a bit more? Yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, that's good. Good. Excellent. Anyway, that's uh, sourcedistribution.co.uk. You want to check them out. They've got a lot of stuff there, but I want to say thanks to Howard. Uh, next week, I'm going to try, there's a Rode um, thing that's a bit like an Electrovoice RE20, which is a dynamic one. So I'm going to give that one a go as well. 
Are you um are you using identical EQ each week or Yep, yep, it's just flat straight into my Mackie VLZ three. Mr Non Eric. Good. How are you, Hans? Are you well? I'm fine. I'm Good. fine. I'm fine. You're sounding um kind of a bit less roomy than usual. Are you in your special podcasting studio? That's correct. Excellent. I thought I owe it to the quality of the Sonic State podcast. You know, I feel honored. And my expertise as an audio professional was in danger. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, heard, I heard the quality of last week's recording, <laughs> and I thought it really sounded like from the bathroom. Your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for all I know, you might have been in the bathroom, you know, but... Yeah. I mean, who am Never I? Know. Who am I to make judgments? But it's probably just because you've got a large and palatial offices with huge echoey rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, non Eric can be found at musotalk.de, where he is proprietor of one of the finest European video podcast sites on music production. If I don't mind me saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us, Hans. Uh, let's go and You're get uh, PJ Tracy as well. PJ, of course, is our Emmy-winning uh, composer from Minneapolis in the US, where he's, uh, I'm sure he's up at the crack of dawn just to join us. How are you, PJ? Ah, I'm fantastic. Yourself? Yeah, good. It's good. Very sunny. Yeah. It's a bit hot. I had to shut the window because I've got a new mic and it's a bit more sensitive. And the seagulls are frolicking out on the roof. PJ can be tra- found pjtracymusic.com. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say uh, um, I did get an email from Asio Head who told me, uh, brought the, the sad news about uh, Andy Hughes, who was uh, from the Orb. He uh, was born 11th of December, uh, November 1965. who died recently uh, on June the 12th uh, after a short illness. Uh, he was... uh, best known for his work with the Orb, where he helped mix and produce Orbis, Terrarum, Oblivion and Cydonia, uh, as well as working with the Cranberries, Tangerine Dream, uh, Basement Jacks, various other people. He was uh, a bit of a, one of the pioneers of the old ambient dub, ambient electronica kind of genre, and uh, he will be sorely missed, uh, far too young at 44, so um, RIP, mate, on that sad note. But uh, maybe we should start out with... um, with uh, let, where shall we start? Uh, let's start. Should we start with Imogen Heap, who finished her album, and that gives me the opportunity to play this fantastic track. Where are we? What the hell is going on? The dust has only just begun. To fall, crop circles in the carpet, sinking feeling. Spin me round again and rub my eyes. This crowd be was uh, track Hide and Seek. I don't think it's off the forthcoming album, but I, I was listening to it on a MySpace page, and I thought it sounded really lovely. And uh, the news that Imogen Heap has actually finally finished her forthcoming album, which is Ellipse, I think it's scheduled for release very shortly. Um, and I was looking on MySpace, and I just thought, it, it kind of threw up the topic of, what does it feel like when you finish a project? Uh, for me, uh, often, you know, because it's often I find that, you know, you after a, a long period in the studio, you know, you've been working late and you're trying to get it all done before, by a deadline. And then when it actually finished, the last one, you're sort of knackered. It's quite often 
the early hours of the morning and it's it's not generally this sort of uplifting feeling that um one perhaps got into the music business for but maybe that's just for me in that situation i mean obviously if you finish a mix and it's nice and early in the evening and you kind of you've got it all done quick then you can feel euphoric but i just thought i might be interesting to explore that amongst our uh, our panelists who'd like to go first how about mark tinley um nothing's ever finished is it really <laughs> So at four o'clock in the morning, where we're going, we've got to get this finished, got to get this finished, got to give this to whoever, A&R or whatever, tomorrow morning. At four o'clock in the morning, and you're like, you know, a whole mix away from finishing it. Nothing's really ever finished. So you kind of do the best you can in the time you've got left. And then, actually, can I be totally candid here? Yeah. I remember many a time in the late 80s driving home at about 8 o'clock in the morning when everyone else was driving to work and I'd been up all night doing God knows what in the studio and completely off my head with like cars coming at me from every direction and like I've had no sleep at all and things appearing in my wing mirror and frightening the living daylights out of me and oh no. So what does it feel like to be finished? Well, it feels like we didn't do a very good job and we probably could have done better and it wasn't ever quite done. Or, or it's being handed over to someone else who promises to finish it and probably have the same problem. So. <laughs> that's a, that's a very interesting analysis, Mark. I can I can kind of I do remember when uh, working on uh, an album that I did years and years ago, do, having the same thing, driving home really late at night, uh, and I ran over a rabbit, and I felt really depressed. And it didn't. It, the, the rest of the session wasn't quite the same after that. Um, Hans, your dark days of producing techno must have yielded kind of epic all night <laughs> sessions in the studio and and, oh, and the like. Uh, Yes, in the early days, but the, when I became a father, it turned into a day job. So I was Germany's earliest and quietest producing dance techno trance producer uh, in Germany. Ah, okay. And how did it, how did you kind of because that's quite difficult. I mean, that's a, but that's probably another issue is sort of shifting the creative process from a sort of this kind of mad all night or, you know, until it's done kind of mentality into sort of, right, well, I've only got, you know, a fixed amount of times. Does it make finishing things easier? And how do you feel when you do finish things? You easy, is it easier to let things go? Um, I'm always desperate to get things done. And I feel that um, it's more depressing to have an unfinished song or track f- floating around than finishing it. So I always enjoy, you know, finishing it. And and uh, best, if you're not working on the computer, you usually know that now it's really finished because you have to start from the beginning again, especially with mixing, uh, because you have no total recall. So, um, yeah, I think uh, finishing is... Yeah, that's the most joyous moment for me, at oh, least. Oh, that's good. That's, yeah, that's I like great. I like you know hitting record on on my. I used to uh, love hitting record on the D on the DAT. Yeah, you know, get the thing rolling and and then usually I'm usually um, uh, after that I keep listening to it because I usually that that's why I really love doing the music job. Right, because you haven't you haven't sort of ruined it by overcooking it. No, because no, uh, because I enjoyed it. I was really sort of fond of the music that I was doing, mm. and that was basically the main reason why I quit 
you know, doing doing the the, the trans producer bit, uh, when it turned into something that I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I started to dislike the kind of music I was doing, and that was really the moment uh, I, I felt it was time to you know get back into the music software business or do something else, and mm. yeah. I see what you're saying. Actually, I miss the DAT process. I mean, I know because it, it, when you turn the DAT on and put it into record ready, especially when they had timers, you know, you put it into record ready. So you have to put something down before it goes, you know, takes itself out of record pause. That whole process of, of when you switch the DAT on and start laying them down, it really feels like, you know, you're about to get to the end of the school term and go on holiday. Do you know what I mean? And when you've printed, you print your first version, you go a couple of versions and then you did, you know, the, the vocal only, the acapella versions, the, the, the instrumentals. It, and that part of the process is sort of missing from, you know, now, I suppose, because it's all bounced in the computer. But, yeah, I kind of miss that. D- uh, Dave Spears, what's your feeling when you uh, when you finally finish a project? I suppose it depends whether it's a short one or a long one, but how does that work for you? Depends what kind of project it is. <laughs> Software is never finished. Well, that's true. The minute you release it, somebody will come out with something and you need to do an update. I think we had that with, I think it was VSM. It was like the day Leopard came out. It's like, oh, the installer doesn't work. <laughs> and that was the day we released VSM. So that was good. Uh, so that's never finished. <laughs> uh, albums and stuff like that, they're always tinged with a little bit of sadness. But I know exactly mm. what Mark means because I think, I can't remember who it was who said this, but it was a mix. It's never finished. It's simply abandoned. And I think, <laughs> And I think that's quite true, isn't it? And always tours. I always felt quite sad at the end of tours, and unless it was a completely horrible tour, of course, and then I was relieved. Um, but yeah, different things for different things, really. Mm. I, I always, I'm, I remember doing remixes when you're kind of working in your own studio in your own time is a totally different thing. I, there was a real sense of satisfaction because being totally in control whereas if you're at another studio and you've got an engineer in or something and you're just part of the process it's always a little bit you know it doesn't yeah it doesn't kind of end in quite the same way for me pj you kind of regularly still doing kind of stuff to tight deadlines and things so you you know you can't really procrastinate too much when it comes to finishing stuff off i guess no when i'm working for somebody else It's often, like Mark says, uh, nothing ever seems to be done until you hit that brick wall deadline, because literally you'll, you'll get some product finished that you're very happy about, and you think, yeah, this is, this is it, and you give it to the client and, or the client's intermediary, like an ad agency or something like that, and they will come back to you and say, oh, this sounds fantastic, we're really happy with it, but we need to do uh we need to add 15 seconds to it we need to add a different voiceover to it we need a different edit key, of it. yeah yeah exactly yeah whatever so it's it's never done until it's done and and uh for the reasons that mark stated earlier about uh attempting to get home in the morning i have a big comfy couch at the back of my studio so that i can just fall into it when the need oh, well, that's good. Actually, that that reminds me of another part of the process. I remember um, last few remixes when you kind of get three out of three. So you get the record company, the artist, and the management all say yes, we like it. And we always aim for a three out of three, but uh, often it was only a one or a two. But if at least if, if you could get the artist and the record company to agree and say that they like the mix, then that was enough for me. Because uh, then at least maybe you've... maybe that was my my um, benefit that I was the producer, the artist, the record company, all in one person. Ah, well, that and makes it I'm, easy. I'm happy. Everybody was happy, <laughs> <laughs> and the listeners, of course. Yes. <laughs> well, 
we all know <laughs> how important the listeners are. I uh, would like to say thank you once again to uh, Roland uh, UK, who are a continued sponsor of the show. And uh, they're still with us and would like to point your attention at the new Juno DI, which is called a sort of, what do they call it? It's a new uh, portable synthesizer. It's battery powered. It obviously powers on mains. Uh, it's a professional synthesizer with over a thousand memories on board. And they're all derived from the Phantom G engine. Uh, I heard it at Limbs and I was amazed by the quality. I know, as I said last week, you can say that you heard it at Limbs were amazed by the quality, but I really did. And I really was amazed by the quality. Uh, the f- intuitive and friendly, simple u- user interface sort of follows on from all the other Juno stuff that they've been releasing. Uh, it, it supersedes the Juno D, uh, which was a, a best selling synth- uh, keyboard of theirs. Uh, it also has has mp3 wav af and smf playback capability via optional usb memory so you can use it for backing tracks and all sorts of things it's got an arpeggiator and a kind of little drum machine in there mic input with a dedicated uh, dsp effects with reverb and vocoder and a pc mac editor software included um you need to get over to roland.co.uk and check it out there's a video demo there and i think there'll be some more stuff posting i think it's going to be released in about july so keep yourself posted. I'm going to try and get one in for review, actually, because I did like the look of it. The piano sound was particularly good, considering the cost of it. I think it's about 599 or 549 UK. I don't know what that works out US dollars. So anyway, thanks once again to roland.co.uk for their continued sponsorship. Oh, I forgot to say, Imogen Heap's album Ellipse is out. Uh, it's due in the summer 2009 sometime. And as somebody said in the chat room, what do you do when you finish a product? You put a three-minute video on YouTube saying, I finished my album. <laughs> and then that kind of is the punctuation to it and everybody. But I was honestly, again, I'm still flabbergasted at the amount of listeners that are listening to uh, and watching your Imogen Heap. 42 million plays on her player on MySpace. 13 millions of which are for that track I played at the beginning of that piece. Can you believe that? It just that wow. seems like astonishing. That's kind of like, hey, you know what? We don't need a record company. I think we'll just be the record company. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, considering that if, if they would, you know, in terms of advertising, you could get, probably get a uh, CPM, you know, as a pre-roll or, a, or, yeah. a bit, or banner, whatever, and just, you know, say a CPM of $1. Yeah. How much would that work out to? That would be quite a much lot of money. Much more that you can ever make with... Yeah, much more than you could ever make with selling records. And you could give the damn music out there for free without having to sue somebody like the IRAA did with this poor woman and her uh, children. Yes, no, I saw US just recently, once again, the evil is the record companies are evil guys out there. <laughs> and they just make it so easy. Now they make it so easy for everybody to say, oh, we, them, yeah. we don't pay for money because the record companies are all evil. Yeah. It's not it, a, it's, I, I, I agree. I don't have any more information on that topic, but I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I didn't right. want to divert you No, but you're absolutely right. I think um, they're having a real tough PR battle at the moment. It's not doing them a lot of good. But it does link rather nicely into this next item. How about, ladies and gentlemen, we should have a look at what's happening in the charts. At number 30, it's Evelyn King. With a new entry at 29 from the Human League. Bill Wyman is at 28. And Lobo is up from 33 to 27. At 26, it's Saxon. Saxon. <laughs> and from 26 to 25, for REO Speedwagon. Randy Crawford is at 24. And Bob Marley and the Whalers at 23. 22. That was 
the inimitable Jimmy Savile on the U- legendary UK chart show uh, Top of the Pops, which is now sadly not with us any longer, from the 6th of August 1981. And it was a precursor to the new, uh, this, this uh, news item, which was what's going to happen to the charts? Are the charts going to work? Because and this, with all this sort of free downloading and free streaming and that kind of thing, how do you count the popularity of all of these, um, these tracks? Easy. Just look at how many views they have on YouTube or how many plays on MySpace. That's a, that's the charts of today. Well, that's that's that that sort of. Thank you very much, Hans. Just by numbers. No, just by, you- the, <laughs> by the numbers, by the sheer numbers. I mean, uh, it's obviously supposed to be counting a lot more if people play it and listen to it. That's what counts. And. Um, I think the problem that they're, they're having, and this is uh, MD Martin Talbot told BBC News, the key task we've been getting into grips with over the past eight months is ensuring that post-download and post-permanent ownership of music, we're also counting how consumers are consuming their music in other ways. That's been relatively simple when people have bought stuff to keep forever, but that's going to become increasingly more complicated. I think the problem they've got is is almost consolidating all the numbers together. But uh, you're absolutely right. There's no reason why um, you shouldn't just count them up. But I mean, I suppose in the past it's been from Gallup shops and well, chart is. return shops and all there those kinds of things. Okay. I mean, I can just write one of those little refreshing HTML pages, and I can just hammer the connection and make sure. I could probably change IP address or cloak my IP address, and I could just hammer, hammer playback to make it look like my track had been played forty thousand times. I did it, if you remember, and got myself into the YouTube chart. I do. That's in fact the first your first um, um, appearance on the show, wasn't it? Was to do with that on this very show. But yeah. that's how the record companies used to push their products in the old days by going into the shops and buying their own records. Yeah, it's not it's you know you find before. out which ones have got the chart return ones and you go and send the buying team out. Apparently, allegedly, of course, I should say. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah. I, I think there are lots and lots of things now that kind of prevent that from happening. Um, I, I think that's not quite as easy to do as it was when you did it, Mark. I mean, I'm sure you can get around it. But it does beg the question, you know, how do you going the, the top 20 or the top 40, you know, the, 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 the charts, I mean, the same in the States, I guess. Dave, did you, ch- did you mm-hmm. check this out? Do you, can you see that there's any, any issues here or is it going to be simply and straightforward? It's going to be a nightmare, isn't it? Funny enough, I, 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 to be honest, I have no opinion on this at all. Um, I, I really can't be asked. Um, <laughs> does it matter? But, but the point was is that, it rises its head at a fairly pertinent moment because uh, only the other day Chris was saying, why haven't we got a kind of chart show in the UK? There is no popular, you know, music show other than, you know, Jules Holland and whatnot, but we need a chart show. We need Jimmy Savile back at the back at the helm saying things like Evelyn King when we all know it was Evelyn Champagne King. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There isn't really a chart. Is there any, um, have you got chart shows in, uh, in Germany? No, I don't. Um, PJ, can't. what about in the states? Is there still anything on in in sort yeah. of ch- There is. Yeah, Ryan Seacrest, the host of American Idol, he hosts the American Top Forty every week. Okay, so that's still going. Yeah, but I don't listen to it. I, no. I don't personally. I don't mind if the charts go. Uh, that's my own proclivity because that's not the way that I find music personally. But. Uh, for those that want an accurate reading of what's the most popular, uh, I hope that they sort it out in a quicker fashion than that article that you sent us uh, seems to insinuate. Uh, the people that are dealing with the charts in the UK say that it might take as many as 20 years <laughs> to start including <laughs> downloads. 
<laughs> I, think, I think by then we're all going to be living on uh, colonies on Mars, so they may be a little bit behind the times. But uh, then we can have the off-world countdown. Can't we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll do it retrospectively, won't I? Twenty years ago today. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> just worked it out. Oh no, that's yeah. hard. That, yeah, that just shows you how slowly the music industry has been kind of ado- is oh, adopted. It's, 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 it's hilarious. Just... I wanted to call the guy up and say, I, I really hope you have a job in two, let alone 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> I think not. PPL yeah, have yeah. only just started paying me for stuff that I earned in 1993, so maybe that's, that's how it's going to work. Right. That would be good if they start pay, if they pay me in 20 years for anything that I've done now. Actually, no, that wouldn't be good because I haven't done anything recently. <laughs> yeah, but, but think about it. Think about it, though. I mean, don't you, don't you remember... Don't you remember when you did your mixes, you know, when you're doing remixes, when you were actually kind of taking part, uh, participating in the chart system? I mean, the the kind of frisson and the excitement of knowing, you know, what the what the chart position was, what the midweek was, you know, how well you're doing in the dance underground club chart or whatever. I mean, all that stuff's kind of gone. I mean, I remember that. It was great. It was. It was really kind of. I remember kept- being in a cheesy club in Manchester, and I was I walked into this cheesy club in Manchester, and I was walking across the dance floor, and I heard boom, 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 <laughs> and it was a week my brother had gone to number one and i just all the hairs stood up on the back of my neck and i just went bloody hell i mean i'd like to say something else but i went hell because i know you can edit it and i was just like that's just um i was just thinking this is mental he's number one this record's number one and i was so excited by it so and the number that he, of records he sold, whether it was a high number or a low number, actually that record did really well later because it was used in the in the World Cup. So at that point in time, it probably hadn't really made him any money. That wasn't the point. The point was that everyone in Britain knew it was number one. Ooh, but I miss that. I miss all of that. Don't you, Hans? I mean, it's you know, it's easy to say I could do without it, but you know, wouldn't you miss it? And you, Dave, if you have no opinion, you must have an opinion, surely, on that. No. Oh, I have one. I think probably for the kids, you know, I do remember <laughs> as a kid having my little book writing down the, me and my sister like used to listen on Sunday. Oh yes, brilliant. You know, so-and-so's number one now. That's not that toss of David Cassidy off the top of the charts. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we were kind of excited. I think from a kid's perspective, it's maybe exciting, but surely they've got other things they do now. Yeah, I suppose. I think the whole uh, thing is still of uh, something of the, of the, leftover from the old uh, business model and also from the way how we would access um, music because in the old days before the internet you everything had to go to this little squeeze through that little hole called record company or called radio or called uh, shop shelves or called uh, uh, music television and there was a limited space and that made it possible for record companies and everybody else to sort of you know, break one thing. That's a mass, That's a still a mass market um, phenomena. Mm. Whereas now people divert so much into niches, it's not really even relevant anymore for anybody because we're not. Everybody can you know really go out there and find music they really like or. I mean, maybe but there's still you know, the, there's still the zeitgeist, isn't there? There's still the kind of music of the moment, the stuff that's rising and bubbling and kind of is being discovered by multiple people simultaneously, which re- results in it being 
popular for a period of time, which is essentially the same thing as the chart. And, you know, it's being reflected by the YouTube hits or the whatever downloads, you know, so you, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. there is a way of scaling it, I suppose. It just doesn't have the same thing. There's a great com- comment in the, uh, in the chat room about it coming through a small hole that's the record company. He actually says the little hole is called Simon Cowell's Art. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I'll have to obviously bleep out, but I, I, I just like the, I like the idea. <laughs> Uh, anyway uh, that's a good one so anyway um the charts um the charts they they may be a thing of the past and not really reflecting anything much so um how what can i say right um i've been playing with volta from motu i've discovered a few things about it one thing that you need to know is if you're using it with a motu interface which have balanced audio outputs you need to wire the cables in a very specific way which is you have to have the the ring floating so you otherwise it shorts out the voltage and can fry your audio interface which is not something they p- put in very great uh, capital letters on the website when you're considering buying a copy of volta and seeing if it works with your system and think oh i can just use my existing studio wiring to plug it in and have this massive cv interface kind of lovely thing all all kind of hooked together well the answer is it doesn't i'm afraid uh, but but it still is very good. And I wondered, um, as I've been using it, if anybody had any questions, because um, I may be able to answer them. If not, I'll just um, edit this out, obviously. <laughs> Dave, have you got any questions? Uh, yes. How easy is it to set up, please? And could you come around and do mine? Uh, it's not terribly difficult to set up. It's a little bit confusing um, in the actual the way that you do it because you have to use uh, auxiliary tracks. It, I'm, t- I'm talking in logic. You need to use side chains and auxiliary outputs. So it's a little bit. So your initial audio object, which is your multi-channel instance of Volta, yeah. what you do is you create a couple of auxiliary tracks. I'm talking logic here. I've not used it in anything else yet. And then you would take the inputs of the auxiliary tracks from the multiple outputs of the Volta instance, okay? So you'd have one and two in in one auxiliary object and three and four in the others, and then you might put your CV and gate a couple of times across those auxiliary objects. Then, if you want to return the the synth audio back in, into the door, and have it being processed with uh, any plugins or whatever, you actually say, well, I'm going to plug it into input one of my audio interface, then I'm going to use input one of my audio interface as the sidechain for the Volta plugin, which will then come out of the outputs I assign in the initial instantiation of Volta. So, yes, it is a bit complicated, but once I show you, it's really easy. <laughs> Marvellous. And, uh, cali- and calibration, the other thing about calibration, because uh, that's something that you need to check out as well. Uh, you can calibrate. You need to send it a decent level back into an audio input, input, and you also need it to be as close to a sinusoidal wave as possible. Otherwise, it won't track the pitch properly. But once you've done it, it does work. I, it, it does actually work. Uh, the other thing is uh it doesn't um it doesn't have a lot of automation parameters so it'd be it would be kind of cool if you could uh, p- automate various different parameters like the envelope it's got one thing that is very good with it is it's got a built-in adsr envelope so you can output a gate or a trigger uh, or a whole a full adsr control voltage so you can bypass your your envelopes completely from the module from your synth and just run it from internally which is kind of cool mm. Oh. And LFO and LFOs and that kind of stuff as well. So if you built a standalone one volt octave generator signal generator, yeah, it would work with that. And then you could you, you could use computer envelopes on a real analog oscillator. 
Oh yeah, you can. If you've got if you're if you've got a modular with a ADSR control voltage in, you just send it down one of the Volta outputs and you you've got an ADSR. It'll just or you can trigger the trigger it from a step sequencer or an arpeggio. There's lots of ways to trigger. It's actually really flexible. From that so, point uh, so somebody who manufactures things should start making little modules. If you had a whole load of little modules the size of guitar pedals that you could just plug into your Volta interface, so you could have like an oscillator and a filter and all those sorts of things, wouldn't that be kind of cool? Well, it would. I mean, it's kind of like modular synth, really, isn't it? I mean, that's the same. Well, yeah, I mean, it so, yeah, yeah, modular synth. Yeah, same sort but of thing. But you could uh, make a hybrid of uh, your ADSRs in your computer and... Yeah, you, you could. One of the other things that is a little bit uh, of a gotcha is obviously not all synths have an oscillator dedicated output. So you could be in the situation where you're jamming on your synth and you think, oh yeah, I really like the sound of this. And then you think, right, I've just got to calibrate it for Volta. You're going to have to sort of deconstruct the sound if you haven't got a direct VCO out. And you only got one single audio output. You have to kind of take the oscillator to a sort of sawtooth, that's not a sawtooth, a, a sine or a triangle, you know, open up the filter, give it full sustain, so, you know, you'd lose the sound, and that might be a bit disconcerting. But I got it working with ARP 2600, a Roland System 100M that hadn't been in tune with itself ever and was now kind of working fine. Wow. Uh, and I've got to check it out with uh, See, that's, that's a bunch of other things. That's where it gets exciting, isn't it? When yeah. you get something that is a complete and utter nightmare to even get vaguely in tune. Yeah. And if you it's can fine. calibrate, it works. then that's brilliant. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Anybody, anybody else got any questions? And um, we can move on because uh, I just thought as I'd been using it, um, it might be of interest to anybody who wanted to know. Or if there's any questions in the uh, chat room, they can fire them in. Is there any latency in the system, Nick? Well, I didn't really get any, and to be honest, um, the system wasn't really set up um, to be... Because I think when you're bringing audio back in via a sidechain, it seems to have a more direct route. So hmm. I didn't find that it did, but you don't have to bring the synth back into the uh, to your door. You could just run it into an audio channel and mix it live. You don't have to, but it just gives you the opportunity to run, you know, plugins across the uh, the audio input as well. Sure. But no, I didn't find that there was uh, too much, and I was playing it live uh, with a System 100 going in and out of the system, and it seemed kind of pretty good. I mean, there will be a little bit, because just within the audio interface itself, it depends on how you've got that set up. Nick, do you own a Roland System 100? I don't, but the person I was setting this, or am setting this up for, is uh, does have a System 100, amongst many other things. I was just about to envy you very, very much. It does sound lovely. And I did get it to sound lovely, but uh, Damsky's got a System One Hundred. Oh, really? He's what, in what? Berlin, right? No, he's moved back to England. Sorry. Oh, before I ever met him, right? <laughs> <laughs> you had your opportunity, and he had it out there in Berlin with him as well. And he's my brother. Did I mention that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Motu Volta. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but I've had some hands-on experience. And I will be doing... I'm going to go and set up all the other um, synths next week, which will include some Moog modules, a mini Moog, um, all the other bits and bobs that are out there, probably an analog solutions uh, or an analog systems. I always get them mixed up. So, uh, Dave, yes, I can set it up for you, I'm sure. I could probably do mm, it on screen. You. If you share me your desktop, I can probably just get it set up. Um, Brilliant. Uh, which software do you use it with? I was just using it with Logic version 7. Okay. Uh, you know, it worked with eight. Obviously, it's easier to set up auxiliary tracks in that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing auxiliary tracks and auxiliary outputs in Cubase and various other things are, are pretty straightforward as well. Hmm. But I do not know. 
Um, okay, well, I, I guess before we move on again, um, let's say um, hello and thank you to our second of the show sponsors, who are loopmasters.com, number one website and sample CD distributor. Um, they have actually given me a sample pack uh, to give away to people, uh, listeners of the podcast. Uh, it's the first of many, I hope. This is the one from the Wave Alchemy Sound Effect SFX collection. It's so new, it's not even on the Loopmasters site yet. Uh, 60 megs of samples there's about 50 odd um they're sort of hits and sound effects and sweeps and impacts and things like that could be quite useful for ads and movies and you know soundtrack stuff what you have to do is you email free stuff at sonicstate.com and you will receive instructions on how to download the uh, 60 meg file so uh, thank you very much to loopmasters.com. Don't forget, email freestuff at sonicstate.com and follow the instructions if you want your free Wave Alchemy SFX Collections sampler taster free samples. Uh, and also don't forget there's uh, looptv.net where you can check out their video podcast which covers all sorts of uh, new products from Loopmaster as well as... Uh, DJ interview. There's an interview with uh, Jody Wistonoff from Way Out West and uh, a nice bit of tech talk from uh, Rob Jones who focuses on Ableton uh, and drum pattern manipulation in Live 8. LoopTV.net and don't forget in uh, free stuff at sonicstate.com if you want that sample, sample pack. The Assistant, now obsolete, tboyaudio.com um, have uh, launched a kind of... F- online service which gives you access to all these kind of they're they're quite nifty it's a javascript application that throws up interfaces of hundreds and hundreds of items of equipment with recall sheets that you can then save in a database online so the idea being it's a sort of virtual studio assistant uh the website itself when you go to it it's it looks dreadful but when you dig a bit deeper you find that there's not only that but there's also there's uh, uh 800 or so um recall sheets for various different rack effects and studio effects there's pdf that you can print out for those there's also a load of manuals there's you know there's a lot of stuff and the idea is basically you can put you get it free or you could download their little app you get it free you can uh, recall a couple of tunes and store it on their database or for ten dollars a month you can store up to 10 songs and for 20 bucks a month you can store the lot um, and it seemed like quite a good idea until I was thinking about the actual physical process of what you do when you're making notes for a mix, you know, and you, if, if you're assuming we're talking hardware notes where you have to go, you know, you're patching stuff out to external gear. I mean, you, you usually have a clipboard or a piece of paper with a chart on it that you write down. If you're going to try and do it from your computer, it's going to give you a bit of a kind of physical difficulty in uh, how to do that. Did anyone kind of spot that slight flaw or uh, was I missing something? Wasn't the, big, the biggest flaw to me was great idea, but why can they charge money for this? I guess because they've put all the work in and they're trying. Yeah, it, they seem. It seems like they might need to put a bit of extra added value in there. Oh please, yes, because I mean it's a great idea, but I would. I, I don't see how anybody. I mean, you could do all that stuff more or less on your own you know just take the basic idea and just say okay i'll do that for myself uh take screenshots and stuff i don't need it to be on a database on the web for, for, let alone that i'll charge i mean they're really charging real money for this i mm. mean it's, that seemed that seemed that seemed to me very awkward but maybe i'm yeah i can't wrong. quite see what the advantage is of having it stored on a database on the web that you can access from anywhere, unless you're kind of transferring mixes over to other studios. So you've got a tool session, you know, so for instance, that goes over, but you also want to hire in some extra gear and get that. But usually you just print 
all the bits that have got the hardware across them, so you just say, well, that's it, as it stands. So, yeah, it's a bit flawed, perhaps. Oh, no, PJ. Well, uh, aside from not really having a use for this kind of software, I think, uh, or web-based application, I think that they might have better success, uh, kind of in the line of what Hans was saying, if they created a very small and compact download downloadable application uh, and charged one fee for it. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, some- okay something nominal that that sits locally because like you say there's probably not a whole need you know a whole lot of need to have something on the web and it seems to me like it's just an extra step and if you're going to bother taking that extra step because i mean i remember back in the day when i was walking around a studio writing down settings on on uh, outboard gear and whatnot um you know i i never did take the extra step to catalog to catalog that stuff in a computer i just left it in the notebook yeah, that's I, the thing that gets me. I mean, surely if you're going to go to the point, you go up to the equipment, you've got a little print out of the front panel, you you know, you know, put your, your pen marks on where the knobs are all are, and then if you have to go back and sort of replicate that in the computer, because otherwise you have to walk around with a laptop doing it, and that would just be really fiddly. Yeah. It's not as intuitive yeah. as just using a pen on a piece of paper. Yeah, but, but uh, it seems to me that if you were to take that extra step, if you were the type of fastidious person that would want to do that, then it would be a better idea to have it on your local drive. That way you wouldn't have to go to the web, access, you know, it, it, type in a password and an account name and that kind of thing, access yeah. their interface and do it. And pay an ongoing subscription fee to do so. Quite. Who's next? Have I asked you, Mark? No. What do you think? You must have had to do some of this sort of thing in the past. Any point? I was supposed to have done it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The only problem with me is that I'm overly pedantic when it comes to doing these things, so as soon as I start making mistakes, I want to start the whole thing all over again, which means it just never gets done, really. Right, I see what you mean. You're, You're rather completist about it. Well, I'm rather... I don't know if I... Uh, it's like uh, a performance. <laughs> no, it's it's beyond that. It's it's like an a, an OCD, I think, really. Okay. And uh, if I start in in other words, if I started off using a black fountain pen to do studio notes, and the black fountain pen ran out, I would get upset and then go and find another pen and do the whole lot all over again from the beginning. So, I suppose having it in a computer would be a be good easy, thing. yeah. But uh, the, yeah. but people would very quickly not ask you to do the job, I suppose, if uh, if that was kind of an issue or had been an issue. Find, uh, yeah. find someone else to do it. <laughs> I mean, you're talking you're talking to the guy who who uh, one particular artist used to come in and go. The room is a real mess, and he'd have to tidy it up because I just can't, there's certain tasks which I'm not very good at, and I just can't get my head around. So yeah, I'm I kind of a bit like that. Yeah, I know. I used to just take photos. I know, but there's tons and tons and tons of recall sheets, which are brilliant, you know, for kind of some quite esoteric and unusual items of equipment. It's mostly outboard, obviously. And so, you know, they've actually provided you with the paper. You just print this stuff out and then you can then you can just do it yourself and photocopy it, which is and it's a really good resource, actually. Dave Spears, what do you think? Uh, what PJ said, basically, exactly that. It is an amazing resource. I don't really have a lot of use for this, I have to say. Even when I was doing it in the studio, I'd always some... Um, forget <laughs> <laughs> just sorry i can't recall that mix it's, uh, yeah. yeah well you know it just kind of adds to the vibe really doesn't it yeah let's get creative right. live again. in the moment 
Yes. And yeah. to be honest, there aren't that many studios with this sort of equipment lying around now that need this kind of function. I mean, maybe kind of 10, 15 years ago, there'd have been quite a large client list, but it's not. Most people work sort of for themselves and come. I mean, it's it's easier just to print everything through the effects, isn't it? And not have to worry about recall. I mean, because ultimately you just, you know, you're going to digitally manipulate it if somebody says, I want it faster, or I want a different sort of thing. It's unlikely that you're going to have to regenerate the, the stuff. Yeah. Don't we have okay. total recall these days? Nick? Well, we do. Well, yeah, but we don't on on the outboard that goes in. Yeah, total recall in the box. But if you're bussing stuff out, yeah. But as you were saying, um, this is something retro. Yeah, a little bit at least. Bit like the site design. Unfortunately, it does look a little bit. I, I, it it does. The site <laughs> design looks like you wouldn't want to look any further. But I do recommend that you do look a bit further if you haven't, because there's some great stuff in there. It's tboyaudio.com. I mean, whether or not you need the paid-for services is another matter, but there's lots and lots of resources in there for, for recalls. Craftwork, there was a very inter- uh, an unusually, um, for anybody, actually, there was an interview with Ralph Hutter on um, The Guardian by a chap called Johnny Harris, who uh, is... Uh, was kind of a bit flabbergasted that he actually got an interview with anybody from Craftwork. Ralph Hutter, of course, is the last remaining original member of Craftwork after the disappearance of uh, Florian Schneider, who we did manage to get a Sonic State piece from at uh, Music Messer. There were some great quotes in there. And one of my favourite ones was, uh, he says, we work really hard and we kind of go to the studio, we work and we just get on with it and we turn the phones off and we do, you know. And it, but but as John Harris pointed out, so why aren't you outputting any kind of music or anything? It does seem like a very interesting um, setup. Okay, um, the problem is uh, I know that these guys, um, that the, their output uh, rate is extremely sl- low. I think they they even I think they did a whole album where they sampled all their uh, analog gear into a synclavier oh. and never released any of the stuff they did. They just threw everything away. Oh, I that's a waste are, of time. Ooh. Yeah, and I think they are so. Uh, I mean, their um, uh, their image and their 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 whole fame is so super enlarged that I think just from that point of view, the, the expectations out there probably makes it extremely hard for them to put out anything because you know it will always be seen in this big. You know, yeah. as a pioneer sort of stuff. And maybe they're just, I know, I don't know if you knew, but both founders of the group were rich kids. And now obviously are rich kids too. And they never really had an angle on, on, on what they did musically as seen it as a career. Right. As you would see it, you know, like... So they no, would, no pressure to actually come up with anything else after that, I suppose. They have no pressure. And there's pressure... You know, from one side, creatively, you know, to put out something of, of in the, in that kind of dimension as they did before. You know, in terms just of you know, being such a uh, influential act. And then on the other hand, there is no commercial. They've never been interested really in the commercial angle of what they've been doing. That's why they've been so extremely elitist about. Never giving any interviews, not caring, you know, about anything they do, and they maybe just. I suppose yeah, yeah. one one could say also that that by that nature they're just not really prepared for it. They don't. Uh, and uh, Mark JX eight P in the in the chat room says, I think you can understand Craftwork a whole lot better when you see them as an art project instead of a band, and maybe that is yeah, actually yeah. the nub of it. Um, Absolutely, yes, correct. 
one of the things that uh, Ralph was saying is they've struggled with technology because, you know, at a certain point they had technology that they made themselves to create the music that they wanted. And then they sort of spent the, ne- the next 25 years waiting for technology to be made so they could make the next record. So now they're using Cubase and now they've got lots more problems than in the past. Yeah. I expect so. Dave, Dave Spears. No, I just thought that was particularly fascinating. I've not heard of Craftwork before. <laughs> <laughs> God, no, no, I mean, they're like gods, aren't they? I mean, God, blimey, certainly um, a couple of bands that I've worked with, Craftwork, are the people where it all started. Yeah. And then they may go back and explore the kind of music concrete stuff, but Craftwork was where it all began. Uh, amazing, really, amazing, and a really good interview. I've got, I mean, I've never met any of them, but I do know that uh, this band that I work for occasionally, who will remain nameless, uh, knew Carl Bartos quite well, and they went to Kling Clang, and they were kind of like, well, you know, so can we, um, why don't we get together and jam, because their life is one big jam, and uh, Carl said, no, I'm sorry, we do not jam, we just compose on laptops. <laughs> but they do gig, don't they? I know um, Dale, um, my brother-in-law, gave me some pictures of their of one of their gigs in um, Australia recently, or their oh. gear, actually, which is quite, which is quite interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Obviously, yeah. I haven't done enough research. And I think they're playing in the UK. Yes, they're playing in July at the Manchester Velodrome as oh, part of the go. Manchester Velodrome. Festival. Perfect. They can take their bikes. Yeah, because they all. Another part that was really interesting. They were all really into cycling, and they used to get dropped a couple of hours away from a gig on the bus when they were in the you know in the in the seventies and eighties, and cycle the rest of the way <laughs> to the gig. So they'd be doing a couple of hundred miles a week or, or more because they were just so into it. Brilliant. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff. PJ, is um, you get anything from this article? Yeah, yeah, it was a great article. Um, I'd never actually read an interview with any of those guys before, no, so it was interesting. It, it just gave an extra dimension to uh, to my uh, understanding of of them as a group, and I guess what they're currently doing. I, I wasn't aware that they were that they were still. Well, that's not that's not true. I think a couple of years ago I saw a, an interesting photograph of of them in concert, so I was vaguely aware that they were still performing. Um, but it's good to know that they are, and I'd love to see one of those shows. I uh, would love especially, to, especially. Yeah, especially since uh, Ralph Ralph Hooter. Yeah, he said uh, that the the technology is finally up to their standards. So it'd be interesting to hear what they're doing with it. Yeah, God, I hate to be their tech. Mm, wouldn't you? I Dave? saw them. Yeah. Might be a bit demanding. Saw them live in Berlin, nineteen eighty-one. Ooh, lucky you! And I think nineteen ninety ninety, I think, or ninety-one in Hamburg. And it was when they were touring uh, Computer Liebe uh-huh. in, in nineteen eighty-one. Was really yeah, it was amazing. I'd love to. I'd love to see them. I would love to have seen them. And and it was like because everybody else was like sort of uh, still in the punk new wave, and and they came out like these clerks, you know. Yeah. That's that was great. So you can see uh, you can find some really great uh, YouTube videos uh, of 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 that concert in in Berlin in the uh, 1981. Oh, can you spot yourself in the crowd? No, 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 <laughs> no pictures of the crowd. <laughs> would you want to? Yeah, I would. <laughs> Funny enough, there's this, always this argument between me and my wife because she met me the first time at a concert and she claims I was wearing a, a red shirt 
you know, Kraftwerk red shirt yeah. while the band was performing in black shirts. And I said, no, 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 I was not a Kraftwerk fanboy. I was wearing the black shirt and they were still in their red ones, as you can see on YouTube. <laughs> You have video evidence. Well, that's that sorted yeah, out. Then. There are some brilliant quotes in there as well. The equipment is finally up to our standards, is one of them. And then uh, what he says next is probably not intended as his verdict on Twitter, a craft working in development, if ever there was one, but it may as well be. Everybody is becoming, like he pauses, a Stasi agent constantly observing himself or his friends. Uh, that was quite, um, quite an interesting observation. Very true. Um, okay, well, goodness. I think we've actually nearly got there. Well, there are a couple of other things, but uh, frankly, they were they were fillers. They were fillers. Okay. But the smart <laughs> smartphones. I do need some advice with the smartphones. I don't know if anyone can help me. It's just, it's just a nightmare. You know, I, I was going to veer towards an iPhone, and then I, then Mark brought up the multitasking issue when he was using Audio Boo. So I've been looking at the N ninety seven, and there's just so much stuff information out there. It's it's a bloody nightmare. And it's almost it's almost more difficult than actually buying a new desktop. At least I know what I want because I can buy I buy an Apple or I buy a, a PC running Windows. It's quite simple. There is a very very simple, but there are so many things to choose from in this sort of smartphone capability, and it's just oh, it's driving me mad. I've got a little search window open every time someone mentions an N ninety seven, so I can get you know the latest reviews because I've got only got a few days left to sort of choose before the, my contract runs out. It's a nightmare, mm. Dave. You're all right. You got the iPhone. You're not going to get a new one, are you? Uh, not just yet, no. No. Why do you have to choose before your contract runs out? If you run it another month, in other words, if you let the contract roll into the next month, yeah, they'll be bloody gagging to throw things at you. If, if you don't renew their con- your contract, they get very excited about trying to give you deals and stuff. Oh, yeah, I've already had a phone call. Well, maybe I should, yeah, okay. Well, I've only got a week left, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, it's, it's a tough one. Hans, are you in the same position or are you, or are you smartphoned up? I'm I'm suffering from iPhone envy. Are you? Very much. Yes, yes, yes. Because every week in my podcast, there's something going on with some new iPhone apps. And I have a problem. I don't need it. But I desperately would. I'm thinking of reasons every day to get one. But maybe now with the new video function, maybe there's a new angle for me to sell it to my wife. Why I need this well, desperately the, the- for work. The video thing is an issue, actually, because I've been looking at that. But it, the problem is, is if you're videoing something and you get a phone yeah. call, it's bye-bye video. Or if you're uploading a video and you get a phone call, it's bye-bye upload. And there's no way of re- of setting the video quality in the iPhone. As far as I can tell, I was talking to a chap who has one of the new 3GSs, and there's no way of setting the video quality to anything lower. So you've got a smaller upload speed. Okay, upload what's faster. the resolution on video, by the way? Uh, I think it's VGA, 64480, or you can uh, 16.9 it, but I don't know how that works yet. But uh, um, with the Nokia, you can, fill, do it, you can set the video resolution. It also multitasks, and um, it's got a QWERTY keyboard. Ooh. I'm just, I'm having trouble. I'm really having trouble deciding. Anyway, it's not a very, it? sorry, the N97. Okay. So anyway, because I know I always went on about the N95. I was saying, Hans, you should get one of these because it means you can do uh, video video stuff and, you know, what have you. Sorry, this isn't very audio, but it's very relevant to our kind of blogging, kind of get the content up there quick kind of environment. And I think it's quite important because obviously, you, as listeners, I hope you'd want us to have the best technology to bring you the content as quickly as possible. 
there if I, if I, or have I been crapping on a bit about that so PJ <laughs> PJ help me out bring us bring us all back down to earth say something sensible uh, <laughs> I don't own a smartphone hey <laughs> that's, that's a that's sensible answer <laughs> My my wife, uh, I bought my wife a, a Google phone, the G1, for uh, for Christmas this year, and she loves that. But uh, as far as I know, the current operating system on the G1 does not include video, so that wouldn't be something that you could Ooh, use. I think you do. The new HTC Hero, which has just been announced today, has a very powerful processor, a 700 megahertz processor, and does video, and it's got the hmm. uh, Android app. Uh, OS. So, oh, yet, is that right? another, okay. yet another thing to consider. But anyway, I think that's probably enough of that. Now, one one really fantastic thing about uh, Android is that a lot of applications are freeware. Yeah. Um, the SDK the SDK is is everywhere for that. So th- right. there's just there's things popping up all of the time. There's some really fantastic games and little music apps and all kinds of things. I, but I, I, only, to- I only really care about the business stuff at the moment and the blogging stuff, uh, and that's the one thing that. Um, you know that that excites me really about it but uh we'll just have to see so anyway thank you very much uh, everybody for joining us uh, that's us for this week this week the show was brought to you by loopmasters.com and roland.co.uk and also the new mic you're listening to which was the uh what was it the the road broadcaster which i think sounds quite nice we'll try another mic out next week and see what that sounds like anyway thank you very much to everybody in the chat room for joining us sonicstate.com forward slash live and I'd like to thank my guests for joining me uh, first of all thank Thank you very much to non-Eric from musotalk.de. I know you're a busy guy and you've got a split right now. So you're welcome, Nick. Hope to hope I can make it again next week. Oh, yes, I hope so too. Spare a thought for everybody at Glastonbury this week. Uh, it's going to be a major lineup. Um, lots of big bands headlining, all sorts of stuff going on, but I just checked the weather and it did look it did say rain stroke thunder which doesn't sound too good for both friday and saturday which if anyone's ever been to a muddy glastonbury it's not the sort of thing that one wants to hear before you head off to go live in a tent for three or four days um but anyway uh, good luck to everybody there i know D- dave spears are you going to go down no no <laughs> mark Tinder, yeah. you going? no pj obviously you're probably not going to fly over to go to glastonbury but you can watch it on tv almost everywhere it's kind of pretty much live coverage all over the place certainly on the bbc all right. So, and there's some great acts, some great acts. So anyway, thank you very much to Dave Spears from G4 Software for joining us. Thank you. G4Software.com is where you can go and find out more about Dave's wonderful instruments. And Mark Tinley, uh, thank you for joining us as well this week. Uh, I'm pleased to hear you've got your studio pretty much set up, and um, we'll look forward to hearing more from you soon, I hope. Yes. And indeed you will. And can I do some ruthless self-promotion? Yes, of course you can. Um, the URL is http colon backslash backslash www.blogtalkradio.com backslash give away a dollar a day. And that's all one word. And he interviewed me on Saturday. Oh, cool. Yeah, I saw you, um, you, you message about that, actually. So if you have a spare hour and you want to listen to the my, the non-musical ramblings of myself, then you will find some of them there. Brilliant. Well, we'll head over. We'll put the link in the show Thank notes too. And um, thanks once again, Mark Tinney. com also is where you can find him. And PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Um, I'm sure you've got lots of composing to do and all sorts of stuff. I hope you haven't been up too late this week and you have a nice restful summary sort of rest of the week. 
Yeah, it's been great. I'm, I've got a couple friends coming down from uh, up north today, and I am recording one of them for a, a jingle for the other one's chain of massage shops. So it should be should be an interesting afternoon. Okay. PJ, uh, thank you very much. That was Sonic Talk number 135. And um, that's it for this week. Cheers, guys. Oily marks appear on walls where pleasure moments hung before the takeover, the sweeping insensitivity of it.